We're all familiar with this image of a Chinese factory. The sun is rising and hundreds to thousands of workers in uniform are pouring through factory doors and making their way to their spot on an assembly line where they'll probably carry out one specific task for hours on end. This type of production, enabled largely by China's massive labor force, has propelled China to its position as an economic giant and manufacturing powerhouse, attracting investment from all over the world. At 775 million people, China's labor force is still the world's largest. But as the Chinese economy continues to grow, the labor force is shrinking and wages are rising. Enter robots. Dr. Hongbin Li from the Stanford Center on China's Economy and Institutions has been studying China's adoption of operational robots for several years. By joining Tsinghua in 2007, so I started that, that, that project. From the U.S. China Business Council in Washington, D.C., I'm Aaron Slauson, and this is the China Business Review. Maybe we should start with some definitions. So, for the purposes of your research, what is the distinction between a machine and a robot? I mean, in a sense, for economists, we wouldn't care about this. So, I don't think that a machine or something can be used to increase productivity, right? It's the same, actually. But for the study of for these studies, uh, specifically, we do need to di distinguish between robots and other machines. Uh, oh, I'm not an expert, so I just follow the literature in engineers. So basically, something can do work uh, in three dimensions, actually, and can be reprogrammed to different, to different tasks. So that's called robots. So a machine can only do one thing. Normally, sometimes they can do three dimensions, but they cannot be reprogrammed, -pro actually. It can only do one thing. Basically, in a sense, robot is more flexible um, and also involves, I think, uh, software normally. So, uh. By 2016, China had the world's largest stock of operational robots. Its share is about 19% of global stock. But just six years earlier, Japan, the United States, Germany, South Korea, they were all ahead of China. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about those comparisons and how China was able to increase its stock so rapidly. The most automated countries are like uh, Korea, Japan, Germany, right? And, and the US. The US is behind the other three countries because US is not really a strong country in manufacturing, right? So this is a country really strong in service. I mean, the strongest. Um, uh, I mean, compared to Korea, I think which is, I think on the top, uh, uh, in terms of per worker uh, robot usage, China still way behind actually. Uh, I think uh, Koreans like uh, I forgot the number is uh, maybe 150 robots per 10,000 workers. Uh, China's uh, I think less than uh, 50. I think so I think it's much lower uh, in terms of per, per capita or per worker. But in terms of the total number of robots used, China's number one. And what's the breakdown of Chinese domestically produced? robots versus imported robots that are being used in China? I think half half. So uh, I don't know the most current number, but China's uh, domestic production is increasing really fast. Actually. Uh, uh, that's one of the reasons uh, a lot of the manufacturing, manufacturing firms are using those, because it's getting cheaper. Uh, 
but the quality, of course, is not uh, still behind uh, those produced in uh, Europe and Japan, Korea. Uh, those are, I think, better, but also more expensive. Uh, uh, I just saw a video clip, not my, my own data, but uh, there's some new robot can tie the crabs. Chinese eat a lot of crabs, especially in, around Jiangsu, Shanghai area. So there's robots that tie the crabs. This is safe labor, actually. So this is, this, to me, it's incredible. <laughs> I think it's a common conception that the the automation push in China is state-led. I mean, you think of policies like Made in China 2025, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on um, how how much of this drive is you know, a natural reaction to the labor market versus, you know, a more, a more top-down state-led approach? I think, I mean, I mean, when we talk about China, we normally think China has uh, a strong government. Like they have really uh, some industry policies that's guiding all the firms. Uh, in this case, of course, there's always part of it. The government always has some intention, always has some policy tools. But I think this is more spontaneous. Um, uh, because one of the most important reasons is the rising wage in China. I mean, China income is growing really fast. Uh, now the per capita uh, uh, income is already above ten thousand US dollars. If you think about it, it's not really low actually. Uh, if you think about the uh, like some of the lower end of military countries, like some European countries, the income level is about twenty thousand US dollars per year. China is already ten. So it takes another, you China keep growing like this, uh, it takes another decade for China to reach that level. So why do you have high wage? Also, I mean, if you compare China to uh, other developing countries like India, Indonesia, other Asian countries, China's wage is already like five or six times of that wage level. So the labor is not cheap anymore. Uh, um, this happens in the whole history of industrialization, right? Once wage started to rise, the factory owners will think about using machines to replace workers. And this happened that in our age, the best machines are robots. So, uh, I mean, this is pre uh, uh, pretty natural for Chinese manufacturing firms to use robots actually to, to replace workers, which are too expensive now. So is the fact that, as you say, so much of this is natural, is this why you don't see the same type of, I guess I'll call it automation anxiety that you see from workers uh, in a place like the United States? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question, actually. I, I think two reasons. One is the decline labor force. Um, part of it is because of the venture policy like uh, started 40 years ago. Another part is uh, with fast economic development with the increase of education and income level of Chinese workers, especially women, females, uh, they don't want to spend a lot of time uh, uh, having and rearing children, right? They want to spend time uh, in the labor market work. Uh, so facility has declined dramatically in China. Uh, China's labor force is already declining for a few years. Uh, it will keep declining for sure, uh, for any foreseeable future actually. Uh, that's a very important reason for the shortage of labor. Another reason for the rising wage is the, just simply because economic growth, like economic development. The thing about China, uh, like per capita income is already over 10,000 US dollars, which is not low level anymore. Uh, uh, so both reasons, 
economic development and declining labor force, which means the wage will increase. Uh, in the past, uh, you will think of this uh, very famous hypothesis called flying uh, gist hypothesis, which means normally manufacturing firms will be in countries with low wages. Once this country starts to grow, to develop, wage will increase. So manufacturers will leave this country, migrate to a lower wage country. So this migration happened in the past, for example, in the past, uh, like maybe 70 years, started from Japan and then go to Korea, uh, go to Taiwan, go to some part, went to Southeast Asia, and then went to China. But China is the country that's different from all the other countries, uh, mainly because its size is so big. This flying, flying gist hypothesis has a very uh, important assumption, which was true in the past, which is technology doesn't change that much. So when technology doesn't change, that means you always need lower wage or low skilled workers to do this kind of manufacturing. That's why factories need to move. Workers don't move, right? So that's the, the hypothesis. But now it might be different because technology is changing very fast. What if the future technology can really be really good? They can replace other workers. That means manufacturers can stay in a country even if the wage is high. I mean, this is good news for a country like China, actually, but not good news for other poor countries. So under that kind of scenario, how do companies make decisions about where to put their manufacturing and other operations? Like, how do they make supply chain decisions? Do they just move manufacturing closest to where the customer is? Um, or like, are there other factors that still need to be taken into consideration? That's a great question, actually. I, I think economists haven't thought about this uh, because, I mean, there's a lot of change to the, to the whole sector. I think you're right. I mean, if worker is not a major constraint, I mean, still a major input, but it's getting less important as an input for production, then I think the manufacturing, manufacturing firms may stay in countries where the market is. And China is a huge market. Uh, that's why even if there's a trade wall, if you ask all the foreign companies, none of them want to leave, actually, especially, especially manufacturers. But they, they want to stay for the market, actually, for yourself, actually. Uh, uh, it's a major market, right? Think about the size and also the rising income. So my prediction, of course, this is not science, and this is, this is my, uh, my prediction, uh, would be that manufacturers will stay in China or East Asia, and some parts will go to Europe because the market is there. Some will be in North America, just three places. And a lot of manufacturers Manufacturers will stay in China. This time won't migrate, actually. Uh, I mean, there's also increasing return to scale. Once you also have scale, it's good for innovation because you have a huge potential for innovation, the return for innovation, right? Then, then you want to innovate. You want to reduce, reduce the cost of production. Because China is such a big market. So all the firms have incentives to stay there and to develop some technologies that is good for the market, actually. I mean, I think for any first foreseeable future, China still will be the hub for manufacturing. And all the other countries around China, of course, will benefit as well, actually. Many are still suppliers for some of the manufacturers. Yeah. While there are plenty of upsides to automation in China, Dr. Lee warns that it could still bring in its own set of new problems. For example, uh, if China is really autom automated, then China doesn't need a lot of low-skilled workers. What can these people do? They don't have a lot of education, right? You have seen what has happened in the U.S., right? Even such a rich country still has the issue of a high percentage of people don't have a college degree and they cannot find good jobs. 
what will happen to China's like huge number of uh, migrant workers who only have middle school education in the future? I think that's a really challenging issue. For me, I think the most important thing for policymakers in China is to, I mean, something China policymakers can do is to really raise the human capital of these people, making sure that they can find a good job, uh, whether it's in service or you know, maybe not too much in manufacturing, but uh, mainly in the service sector. Uh, I think that's, that's a challenge. That's why there are so many different slogans, uh, but I think the key is to, uh, to develop human capital. The China Business Review podcast is a production of the U.S. China Business Council. You can learn more about what we do at uschina.org. Our music is by Taurus. If you liked the episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review so that other people can find us, and we will be back soon.